Uh, if it's your first time here among us, I want to extend my welcome to you as well. It's great to have you among us. We're between um, sermon series at the moment. We usually would pick a book of the Bible or a theme that we feel led to uh, teach through. And uh, next, we just finished last week our series uh, looking at 10 different Psalms. Next week, we're going to start a series in Nehemiah. Uh, this week, I get to pick anything I want, which is a bit dangerous. Um, so uh, I'm going to just read from uh, John 8, where Jesus says this, and I'll pray, and then we'll look at what we're looking at today. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Father God, we thank you for the grace that has been given to us in the coming of your Son. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for love clothed in humanity. We thank you for your rescue. We thank you for lifting us out of a miry pit and putting our feet on a rock. And we we pray this morning that the grace of God that we've been singing about would, would be received afresh. I pray, Lord, for ears to hear what they are usually reluctant to hear this morning. Hearts to receive what you have for them this morning. We ask you, Holy Spirit, please be among us. You promise that those who are evil give good gifts to their sons. How much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Holy Spirit, we ask, be among us as we open up the word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk about freedom this morning. Uh, We're going to look at the true gospel. And uh, when we think of freedom, uh, maybe what comes to mind for you is that scene at the end of the Shawshank Redemption where Andy Dufresne is just standing in the rain, finally free. And I've just ruined that movie for everyone who hasn't (laughs) seen it before. Or perhaps uh, a friend of mine about a week ago told me in a year... He will have paid off his mortgage in full. What a blessing. And he was saying God has been faithful to them where there have been months through their marriage and life where they thought, are we going to make it to the end of the month? And yet they're able to say this time next year we'll have paid off. We'll be free from that debt. We'll be free. Or perhaps you've broken a bone in the past and you've had a cast on for six weeks. Your arm's been like this. And, you think, oh. and finally the doctor clips it off. Oh. What I wasn't able to do, I'm able to do. I'm free from a burden. Or maybe, uh, as, maybe some of you, as, as we did recently, have had long journeys over the summer to a holiday. Maybe uh, my son, poor boy, was um, in the back seat. You know, we've got those seven-seaters and you get seats in the boot where they're about this big. And he's got luggage everywhere. And uh, we went for an 11-hour journey down to the south of France. And uh, he did very well. He's quite small. He's okay. Um, <clears throat> and by the time we got there, I felt for him. as He's just like, oh, I can get out. I can move. The sense of freedom we get, <coughs> excuse me, um, where we, we, we get over a burden. We get out of an oppression. Perhaps for some of you, you you're looking for freedom. You may struggle with a habit. I know there are people even among us who uh, have uh, been addicts in the past. And able to say now, thanks to maybe an AA course or something similar, it's been 10 years, free. It's been 15 years, free, sober. Those beautiful stories. And, uh, and finally, that being free from a weight, moving forwards. Freedom 
means life, doesn't it? Freedom is like I can be who I'm supposed to be. But as believers, we know this is said over us. We've been singing about it this morning. I've been freed in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. And yet, often as believers, we can still feel a cloud over us. A cloud of not good enough. I'm not hitting the standard. I felt this a few months ago. I realized I'm, I'm feeling just a cloud of you're not doing well enough. You're not, you're not living up to your standards, let alone God's standards. Sort of thing that just kind of eats away of you. It taints things. I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. That kind of, I should be doing better here. I should really be a better dad or a better spouse or better at my job. I'm not happy with myself. I'm letting people down. And whenever you go to pray, you might be confronted with feeling like there's a picture of God who's kind of got one eyebrow raised. Like, I know you. I know what you think. I know what you said. I know what you did. And, and you get confronted with your weakness and your failure. I saw how you spoke to that person. I know the thoughts you were thinking. I've told you to do better. That's the idea we can get of God. And, and, I, and, I, and I found myself feeling a bit like that recently. That's not what I'm supposed to be in the gospel. I'm supposed to be free. So I decided to, to do a study of Galatians. And I want to speak from Galatians this morning. Because God's word is clear. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken our guilt and our shame. So, so why does it sometimes feel like guilt and shame are hung around our neck like a millstone? Not good enough. If only they knew. Well, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this. He preaches the gospel to his people every week because they forget it every week. I would probably go further. I'd probably forget it every minute. You hear something, oh, thank you, God, you love me as I am. You saved me, you rescued me, I'm free. Walk outside, right, on my own, here we go. You can do this. And suddenly, so oh, the weight, the burden of, of trying, the weight and the burden of forgetting the gospel. Galatians is a book where Paul is determined to share the true gospel. It's in the context of a story from Acts 15, and I'll just read you the verse from Acts 15, which kind of sums it up, really, the context. It says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, these are Christians in Galatia that Paul has Brought to faith. He's brought them to the truth of the gospel. These people who he loves dearly have found new life in Jesus. They've come to freedom. They found their joy in knowing that God loved them to the point of death on a cross. They've been delivered from evil. They've been delivered from the terror of judgment. Jesus Christ has lived the life that God requires on their behalf. He was punished for their sin and rose again as a victorious saviour. And they know salvation through trusting in Jesus and his completed work. They've got this glorious relationship with the holy, almighty God. They know God. But then these teachers have come along and said, there are extra requirements for salvation. 
Now, Paul writes 13 or so letters in the New Testament. And a few of them are written to lovingly confront things. He's heard about things. Believers who he's, he's actually shared the gospel with, who have come to faith. He's started churches, and then he can hear, what's going on in that church? Oh, I better just write to them to clear up. That's, that's not right for believers. And so you, you, you get like letters to the Corinthians, and he has to confront some crazy stuff with the Corinthians. Incest, partying with the communion wine, and other mess. But Paul's letter to the Galatians is where we hear him at his most angry. You would think, surely, the mess that he, he, he sees the, the Corinthians in. No, he says to them, look, don't, don't fall into those temptations. That's not a good idea. But he's furious with the Galatians. He's furious with their decision to potentially endorse and embrace a corrupted gospel. You cannot corrupt the gospel. And I'm going to use that word gospel a lot of times. I define the gospel as the person and work of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he is, he is furious that they're compromising the adequacy of what Jesus has done. And, and open to adding to it. Saying they would add some Jewish customs to the work of Jesus. And in love, Paul has to teach. He has to teach. He can't leave this. He's going to ruffle some feathers. He's going to be unpleasant. He's going to upset some people. He's confronting these Christians sharply because he must love them well. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you confronted someone in love as we are called to as believers? Titus 1, Paul says this, Rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply. That they, may, that they may be sound in the faith. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. It's not popular now. We've, we very, very quickly feel victimized. And so we don't confront or perhaps you've been lovingly rebuked and your response was to feel sorry for yourself, to lick your wounds. I'm a victim. But God intended love to be this way. We are losing out on a major strength of real costly love to our detriment when we don't confront foolishness, lies, falling away from the outworking of the gospel. The person on the street or the school or online just wants to be affirmed in whatever their beliefs are, don't they? That's what we feel the new definition of love is. Affirm me in what I like. That's how you love me. Whatever truth I make for myself, affirm me in it. And anyone who questions or challenges someone's belief is a hater. You're a hater. To love me is to affirm me. So it's got so far that parents don't even want to confront their children. They don't think they can say no to their children. And Christians, we're supposed to be lovers, right? We're, we're desperate to show the love of God. So in fear, we, we take hold of this nonsense. I don't want to be a hater. I'm going to adopt this 
So I'm a Christian, but I get to define what Christianity is for myself. That person in church is, is not following the truth of the word of God, but I want to let them define it for themselves. I prefer Christianity that doesn't require my surrender. It doesn't require much at all from me, actually. My Christianity is one that doesn't offend me. And if it does, then I'll find one that doesn't. If I go to a church that offends me, I'll find another one that doesn't. But here's the problem. God is a God of truth. There is such a thing as objective truth. Truth that is ordained by God and cannot be subject to our wavering feelings, our desires and fears that go up and down all the time. And Galatians is Paul's letter where he is determined to preserve the truth of the gospel. There is a true gospel. Because only the true gospel leads to new life in Jesus. And out of the death of slavery, slavery to ourselves. Now I'll give you life in Jesus. Don't be enslaved. I don't want you to be enslaved. So I'm going to sharply speak to you about the truth. And he's not doing it for himself. He's not doing it because he's a bully. In fact, he talks openly. He knows full well that those who don't do it are cowardly. They do it because not doing it means no persecution. He's had to go through great persecution to come to this place of sharing this true gospel. The truth of the gospel is far too valuable to compromise. And besides, it isn't ours to play with. The first of my points that Paul argues is this. This is God's gospel. It's God's gospel. Paul starts out by sharing how shocked he is that this church would abandon the grace of Jesus that he's previously introduced them to. How could you do this? I'm shocked that I've heard that you've abandoned the grace of Jesus. You, you've abandoned Jesus. See, they'd heard his message, and then they heard another message. And they weighed the two up. Well, which one is it? Which one is it? And Paul, Paul's response is to clarify, I didn't come up with this message. I didn't make this up. See, it's helpful for us, if you're a Christian in the room today, it's so helpful and healthy for us to remember and put our confidence in this. The gospel we've heard and believed is not a personal disposition. It's not the best we could muster up to make ourselves feel better. The gospel is a message from Almighty God. It's God's gospel. Paul didn't make it up. Verse 1 is Paul's declaration that this was no human idea. This isn't a human idea. The risen Christ himself called Paul on the Damascus road and commissioned him with the truth. Christ came to me. The Lord Almighty came to me and spoke to me. This isn't my best and then they've got a story and which one should we... No, God has revealed something to us. Galatians 1, 11 to 12. I would have you know, Paul says, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He reminds him that he previously hated the church. He tried to destroy the church, and he was successful in that pursuit. He was doing well as a church killer. Why would I make up this story that would cost me so much, that, that turned my life around? A Pharisee bringing a message that brought an end to Judaism 
brought great persecution upon him. And in contrast, the false teachers were spreading a false gospel that would avoid any persecution and also keep them in power. You can, you can be a Jew and have Jesus as Messiah. You can be both and then we still have power. And we don't have to change and we don't get persecuted. It's not radical. Brothers and sisters, this is God's news to the world. God's news to the world. No wonder the angels sang when Jesus came to his birth that we bring good tidings of great joy. God has come. God has entered into history. As Paul says in chapter 3, they put their faith in a crucified historical man. You have believed in the true historical story in Jesus Christ. Don't now turn away from it. And as Paul shows us, we don't hold on to it because it's comfortable or popular. This is a reality for us as believers. It's sometimes going to be uncomfortable, not popular, but we don't hold to it because it's popular. We don't hold to it because it's comfortable. It's because it's true. It's because hope is in the truth. The truth sets us free. In fact, Jesus said, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you if everyone's happy with your message. If everyone's happy with you, no, this will offend people. It calls sinners, sinners. It says you have no hope on your own. It says you can't build a ladder to God. Just like they tried to do at Babel. We can do this on our own. We can get to heaven. We don't need God. That's the heart of mankind. It's an offensive message. No, you can't. And so it's an offensive message. We need a saviour. Have you ever considered how much ink is used in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, for warnings and teachings against false teaching against false prophets against false gospels this is a big thing for the uh, um, for the apostles beware of false teachings how much do you think about that how discerning are you in what you listen to there's false teaching there's a plumb line gospel so the second of my points that paul argues is don't believe another gospel don't believe another gospel. In fact, he can't even bring himself to let, leave that sentence out there without saying there isn't another gospel. Don't believe another gospel. There is no other gospel, as if there were one. But there will be other options. There will be other teachings, compromised Bible teaching, attempts to distort or pervert the gospel, false prophets teaching that distracts or pulls people away from the true gospel. It may be teaching that is more licentious and liberal and denies the reality of total surrender to Jesus. If you hear a teaching that denies the reality of total surrender to Jesus, be very, very aware that's false teaching. Or it may be teaching that adds works, adds religion to the true gospel. What Paul says is actually astonishing. In verse 8 and 9 of chapter 1, he says this, Even if we, Paul and Barnabas and the apostles, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, the one you've already received, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul's saying, even if I come to you and say, actually, I just want to amend something. I just want to change something a little bit. No, curse me. Don't just trust in me willy-nilly because I'm an apostle. No, you've received a true gospel. 
Put your trust in the gospel. Put your trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ that has been revealed to you already. And then he says this stunning thing. Even if an angel from heaven should preach contrary to the gospel, curse them. Now I want to stop there for a second. Just think about that. Think about that. How many of us seeing an angel in one of our meetings on a Sunday morning would be blown away? And angel, angels come to my church. I've got angels in my church. Come to my church. I've got angels. If, if you heard about a church where angels were going, I'm going to that church, right? I'm going to the church that angels go to. But Paul wants you to be more discerning than that. Notice, he's not writing to leaders. He says, you Galatians. He's writing to the church, the congregation. The onus, the responsibility is on the congregation, on the community to be discerning. Don't just think, there's angels, I'm going there. He wants the community to be discerning. He would want to ask you the question, well, what is the angel saying? What is the angel teaching? You see, the true gospel of Jesus is far more valuable than angelic visitations. Do you understand that? What attracts you to church? What attracts you to a particular church? Perhaps the big new building in the center of town. Maybe it's the up-and-coming church. Maybe you thought, this is nice here. Maybe, maybe a friendly welcome. Maybe people who are similar to you in race or age or interests. Maybe you think, I looked on their website and they seem inclusive and diverse, and that's diverse, and that's a really big deal to me. It's really important. They do a lot of work in the community. It's okay, they're new frontiers. They're relational mission. We can trust them. Paul wants you to ask this question above any other Do they preach the true gospel? Do they preach the true gospel? If they don't, let them be accursed. It's a big deal. What is it above all? Got to hold on, maintain the true, true gospel. The person and work of Jesus is my only hope. But they're really friendly there. That's not what you need. But they fit my belief system better. That's really not what you need. Let them be accursed. Which brings us to the next point. Life comes from faith in the true gospel. And you might ask, how am I supposed to know the true gospel then from a false one? Well, one thing of note is that Paul seems to say it's actually not that difficult. He's talking to young Christians and saying the onus is on you here. It's not that hard. It's simple enough that it's not left to the leaders. He's writing to the church the people in the church are responsible for holding on to the true gospel that has been revealed to them. That Jesus is the way to salvation. Only Jesus. And secondly, here's a helpful tip. You know how money counterfeit experts are trained to see a forgery? They don't focus on the fakes. They know the real thing inside out. And then they can see a fake a mile off. That's not real. I know what is real. See, that's what Christians are called to do. So do you know the true gospel? Do you know it? Do you know it inside out? Do you cling to it for dear life? Do you walk in it? 
Paul's serious about this. This is not a thing of, well, I go to church. I attend church. God's okay with me. I go two out of four. Do you cling to the gospel for dear life? Do you know it to be your only hope? From the end of chapter 2 to most of the way through chapter 4, Paul clarifies what exactly is the gospel. His central point is this. Justification, right standing before God, the embrace from God as a son or daughter, does not come through anything but Jesus Christ. That's his central point. That's what he's concerned about sharing. We must hold firm to that central truth, not just because... Uh, not just to become a Christian, but to live as a free Christian. Don't turn off here if you think, I know this, I'm a Christian. It's not about coming in the door. The gospel is not for unbelievers. You might think the gospel is for Alpha. It's for people to know what the door is to come in. And Paul is saying here, the gospel is not the ABC. It's the A to Z. You can't just come in through the gospel, you've got to walk and know the life and the freedom of life in Jesus by clinging to the good news and the the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must hold firm to the central truth. Every one of us has separated ourselves from God. I don't care who you are in the room, every one of us has fallen short of our own standards, let alone God's standards. If we could put up on the screen your private thoughts From the last week, you wouldn't want to be in the room. Every one of us falls short of God's standards and turned away from him. But God, in his abounding and steadfast love, had a plan to reconcile us back to him. He took on flesh in Christ, lived in righteous perfection, died on a cross in the place of every sinner, every sinner who turns to him for forgiveness. Christ's substitutionary death for sinners is the only hope any of us have for new life or salvation. See, the false teachers were telling the Galatians that it was Christ, yeah, Christ is fine, plus, Christ plus circumcision. Jesus plus religious customs. But Paul is clear, chapter 2, verse 16. We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Having, he says, having entered the spirit of new life by faith, don't then try to continue new life by adding rules to accomplish by your own efforts. He goes on to explain, it's always been this way actually. You might think this is, this is New Testament faith. No, he says, no, before there was a law, Abraham was righteous by believing. Abraham was not righteous because of a righteousness of his own. He wasn't righteous because of his behavior. He had righteousness accredited to him because he said, I renounce all others and I believe in him. I believe God. Abraham believed God. It was accredited him credited to him as righteousness. And this is where Luther's comment about forgetting the gospel every week or every minute manifests itself. We fall back into a mindset of keeping God happy through good behavior. We actually lay a curse on ourselves. Because Paul says to the Galatians that if you're going to try and step back into a little bit of the law, you put yourself under the law again completely. You're accursed. You put yourself under condemnation. You can't do it. We heap a burden of upholding an impossible law back onto yourself when you start to think, I've got to keep God happy. 
I've got to get on the treadmill. Am I doing well enough? I'm checking my pulse. Am I, am I doing okay? It, 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 are things going well? Am I progressing? Am I bearing fruit? Oh, I've got to try harder. You heap an impossible burden back on yourself. This is what Paul is so eager to argue for. This is why he's so angry. Don't change the gospel that brings real freedom. It is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So don't get welcomed by God by miraculous grace and then try to keep your welcome by spinning plates of good behavior. Keep that one going. Oh, that one's almost falling. Oh, that one. You can't do it. I crashed. Oh, I crashed again. I failed again. It's a gift of righteousness given to us as we put our faith in him. Listen. Listen, you who are in Christ are free from working for God's love. I'll say it again. You who are in Christ are free from working for God's love. Hallelujah. You are free from the law. And you might feel a temptation or obligation to observe rules that other people place on you. Have you done this? Are you making sure you're doing that? Oh, you're not doing that very well. You think, oh, I'm not doing well. You may feel you have to battle against false guilt and shame at times. You just feel a cloud of, I'm not doing well enough. You may feel acutely aware you're not meeting God's standards. You might hear the accusations of the enemy reminding you of your failures. Well, Paul's answer is to know the gospel. Know the gospel and put your faith in it. Put your weight on it. Stand on it. Not just know it. Put your faith in it. Put your hope in the gospel. Christ has set you free. Free from God's judgment. Free from the curse and the weight of trying to accomplish righteousness and trying to justify yourself. And chapter 5 begins with the fundamental verse of the letter. For freedom's sake, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If someone pays off your mortgage for you, don't go on paying it. It's been paid off. My son wanted to go back into the car after 11 hours driving and sleep in the car. Thought, no, what, you're free. You're done. It's out. Come on. Don't go back into slavery. Don't go back into oppression. You're free. It's for freedom's sake he set you free. Stand in your freedom. Arrogantly. Chest out. I'm a free man. I'm a free woman. The enemy has no hold over me. It's been paid in full. And so for freedom's sake, Christ has set you free. So the righteous shall live by faith, trusting in the true gospel, holding on to Jesus, taking advantage of his work on your behalf. Do you take advantage of it? I couldn't possibly. What are you doing? I remember when I was at uni, one of the lecturers, um, she was friends with a, a guy who was a Premier League footballer. And it was around the time when, well, I suppose it's always been this way, but when real money started coming in. And he, he started to get some wage that he just thought... He couldn't almost handle the moral um, weight of, I'm getting paid how much? It was like, I, just rec- I don't deserve that. But I, rec- I reckon he spent it. <laughs> Didn't stop him from spending it. We don't deserve it. You're supposed to spend it. God's grace, yeah, you might not deserve it. You definitely don't deserve it. You're supposed to glory in it. If you give a gift to someone, I don't like it. I say to my wife, 
you need to be better at receiving gifts. I don't like it when people, oh, you shouldn't have. All right, I won't. <laughs> I want someone to say, thanks, I really love that. I want to see them enjoying it. God's given us a gift. He wants us to stand in it. He wants us to put our chests out. When accusation comes, he wants us to be able to say, no, I'm a free man. I'm a free woman. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. There's a difference between saying you believe and believing. You know that? Saying you trust and actually letting go of what you think are safety nets around you. Like when we get married and we say, forsaking all others. Some of you need to make that step today. I was speaking to someone recently. They were bemused because they grew up in a Christian family. And as far as they can remember, they've been a kind of Christian their whole life. But they weren't enjoying or experiencing the pleasures or the benefits of Christ's salvation, even though they had grown up in this Christian family. I remember I said to them, you might have growing up, grown up knowing what to believe, but your family can't believe for you. Only you can believe to the point where it changes everything. You believe to the point where it's changed everything. Abraham believed God and it shaped everything. It shaped him completely. Some of you may have heard this story of Charles Blondin. I'll read it to you. Can you imagine a tightrope stretched over a quarter of a mile and spanning the breadth of Niagara Falls? The thundering sound of pounding water drowning out all other sounds as you Watch a man step onto the rope and walk across. This stunning feat made Charles Blondin famous in the summer of 1859. He walked 160 feet above the falls several times back and forth between Canada and the United States as huge crowds on both sides looked on with shock and awe. Once he crossed in a sack and once on stilts, another time on a bicycle. And once he even carried a stove and cooked an (laughs) omelette. On the 15th of July, Blondin walked across backwards and returned pushing a wheelbarrow. Blondin's story was told that it would, uh, after pushing a wheelbarrow across while blindfolded, he asked for someone in the audience, he asked for some audience participation. The crowds had watched. They'd oohed and aahed. He had proven that he could do it. Of that, there was no doubt. But now he was asking for a volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow and take a ride across the falls with him. It is said that he asked his audience, do you believe I can carry a person in this wheelbarrow? Of course, the crowd shouted that, yes, they believed. It was then that Blondin posed the question, who will get in the wheelbarrow? Of course, no one did. Now, later in August, he, his manager, Harry Colcourt, did ride on his back across the falls. It's a picture of faith. The Charles Blondin story paints a real-life picture of what faith actually is. The crowd had watched his daring feet. They had said they believed, but their actions proved they truly didn't put their trust in him. It's one thing for us to say we believe in God. It's true faith when we believe God and put our faith and trust in the gospel. I stand free. I stand free. And guilt and shame starts to ebb away. 
And you have an answer for accusation. You have an answer for those who would put pressure on you to add and make sure that your behavior is up to scratch. Now I'm free. I'm free. There's no condemnation. There's nothing you say to me. I don't have to join the kids' work team because you guilt me into it. There's no condemnation and, and, and it's total freedom. And then Paul finishes with this. The gospel changes us from within. It bears fruit. The fruit of the gospel. See, some of you would just think, what did you just say? You don't have to serve? I thought every week you were saying, please serve. Yeah, we do say please serve, but you don't gain credit with God by serving. Sometimes we really struggle with the teaching that we're now free from law. We're free from any uh, uh, um, burden of having to behave a certain way. We think things like, you can have too much grace, though. Surely we need to temper it with a bit of law. We can't just have people going off the rails without any restraint. No law. Everyone would just murder each other and start going crazy. Amazingly, Paul shows us the opposite is true. Chapter 3, Paul says, The law was a guardian, but we no longer are under a guardian. In Christ, we are sons of God through faith. Sons who take on a likeness. Sons who listen to their father. Sons who reflect a new identity, not under a threat of the law, but as fruit of new life. It's not because if I don't, I'm in big trouble. That's who I am now. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I've been given new life. This life is producing fruit within me. I don't have to worry about what other people think of me. I can genuinely love people. I can genuinely give. I can give out of abundance. I can give out of overflow. The freedom and new life given to us in Christ, it bears fruit. Our eyes and our hearts are no longer enslaved to the fleshly desires that only think of ourselves. Trying to justify ourselves. Trying desperately to, to, to justify our existence. To trust, justify our role. To justify who we are. I don't have to do that anymore. I've been justified by Christ. And so I'm not working up the fruit of the flesh which only ever ends up being self-serving. And, and the list that Paul gives is ugly. The fruit of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. We, we bear the fruit of freedom, true freedom. Freedom from self-justification means genuine love for others, genuine peace and patience, genuine joy, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, not because I'm bound by the law to be like that. No, it's the fruit of being rooted in freedom. Rooted in Jesus. Rooted in the true gospel. There's new courage to love others who need restoring to the gospel freedom. At the end of the letter, he says, those who have been lost, those who have been captured in sin, gently restore them. Now you're in Christ, restore them. Let's be courageous about that. There's new humility to think rightly of ourselves. Not living by comparison, but by conscience. So we don't have to worry. People will go off the rails. No, I've got a, a conscience within me. A spirit of service and love and worship to my God. But also, I don't have to compare myself to others. Am I, am I comparing? Am I doing well compared to them? Am I keeping up with them? No, I just before God, my conscience is clear. We serve God by faith. 
and in response to his abundant grace towards us. We love him because he first loved us. So Paul is eager, and I'm eager for us this morning. I'm eager for this church. I'm eager for the next however many decades we push forward. We see more people come to Jesus. Hold tight to the true gospel. Hold tight. Fight for it. When you hear it perverted, correct it. When you hear it corrupted, flee from it. Let them be accursed. Preserve it. Live in the freedom of it. Circumcision and religious works, they add nothing. And Paul wants to just say this at the end, neither does irreligion. Don't think I can look down on those religious people. I can boast in my irreligion. No, neither irreligion nor religion. Christ. Christ is who we boast in. We boast only in him. We are new creations by the grace of God. By his grace, he's changed everything. We're going to have communion and we're going to celebrate as we have our juice and our uh, wafer, bread and wine. We're going to celebrate. This is my hope. Nothing else. Jesus Christ crucified for me. So perhaps the band would come. We're going to celebrate the sufficiency of the cross. Jesus said it is finished. He meant it. He meant it. It's finished. No more you have to add. So as the band play, we can just uh, join and take communion. If you're not a believer in here today, I just ask you to pass this by. We'd love you to join us in the near future in taking communion as a believer. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand and uh, we'll sing together. Father, we thank you for the sufficiency of the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ, perfect, righteous, Lamb of God, fulfilling all that needed to be fulfilled, paying completely the debt. Lord, we cling to Jesus. We cling to him. Our hope is in him. Our freedom is in him. Our restoration is in him. We pray we would pour contempt on our pride. We bring nothing to the table but our sin. The glory belongs to Jesus. We thank you. You didn't come to abolish the law, Jesus, but you fulfilled it completely. And you took off our shackles. We thank you for a wonderful saviour. This truly is amazing grace. And I pray today for those who have seen a glimmer of rest and grace, seen a glimmer of hope and shackles being broken. Lord, let them follow that through into freedom, the freedom that you've offered. Don't let us be those who say, I couldn't possibly, I don't, I don't deserve it. Too good to be true. Let us be those who shout from the rooftops, grace is mine. Grace is mine, forgiven are my sins. I'm just going to read a, a few verses from a hymn by Charles Wesley. It says this, He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. 
I rose, I went forth and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. What a saviour. Oh Lord, we, we want to hold on to the true gospel. We want to share the true gospel. We want to live in the true gospel. Let it rain. In Jesus' name, amen.